This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's fell to rushing. It is a great weekend to be talking about gardening. <laughs> That's what I do. I talk about gardening. I don't really... I don't really do much gardening. Maybe I shouldn't admit that, but because I'm a but I'm a garden expert. I got the university and worked in garden centers and wholesale nurseries and forty something years of experience working with other gardeners. And I've grown and killed a lot of stuff. But there's some things I just don't know about. So if you want to talk about it, want to email about it, want to to argue about it, bring it on. But we're going to have a good time because we're just gardeners. It's not like we're we're not arguing about anything. Um, I do have a, a a good bit of observation experience from working with gardeners over the past decades as an extension horticulturist. But when I get home, I don't want to do all that stuff. I want to enjoy it. I don't want to walk around with a cup of coffee or a, an adult beverage in the evenings and just enjoy what I've done. So I like to choose good plants. I like to plant them well. If they don't do well, I pull them up and st- stick something else in the hole. And over the years, I've learned some Pretty interesting stuff. Some some stuff I wish I didn't know. Uh, there, we're going to have an interview coming up in a few minutes. A guy named Greg Grant, one of the most beloved horticulturists in the whole country. He's from Texas. Uh, he was one of the members of the original members of the Texas Rose Rustlers. Anyway, he's going to help us out with the latest information about a real serious pest that's showing up in Mississippi. We're going to have to get used to it. It's called crepe myrtle bark scale. Haven't heard that before. Get used to it because it's with us for forever. Anyway, uh, I want to throw out a couple of things that are coming up. Uh, there's events going on, and I'd love to help you promote some. One is Wells Fest in Jackson. There's this uh, event called Wells Fest every year. It's a fundraiser uh, through Wells uh, United Methodist Church. It's a big deal. But my friend Loy Moncrief uh, spends all year getting ready for this. He grows, he propagates, he divides, he repots these wonderful old heirloom potted plants. Some are yard plants. Uh, but they're all heirlooms, easy to propagate, and uh, he's going to have those for sale. Again, it's a fundraiser. That's going to be at Wells Fest, which is on Lakeland Drive in Jackson, right off Interstate 55, right across from St. Dominic's Hospital. Real easy to find. There'll be a lot of cars, plenty of parking. But anyway, say hey to Loy when you're down there. Uh, also, the Oxford Herbalist Guild. Um, I don't know if they charge anything for this or not, but they're going to have a real, uh, real good event on how to use herbs um, for immunity. That's going to be um, at the uh, Strawberry Plains Audubon Center. That's way up north in Holly Springs. Starts at 10 o'clock, 10 to 1. I'm sure they'd be glad for you to email them ahead of time and get some more information about it. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's going to be tomorrow. Also tomorrow in Oxford, the Education Committee of the Oxford Community Garden have got a they got a really cool guy. He's a fungus expert. They call him mycologist. A real fun guy. Anyway, uh, Jason uh, Hoxima, professor of biology. He's at the University of Mississippi. Uh, he's an expert uh, mycologist. They're going to do a walk in the woods 
starting at the campus trails on Chucky Mullins Drive in Oxford. It starts at 3 o'clock. They're going to learn the basics of wild mushroom identification, both edible and non-edible. Uh, workshop is free. It's open to the public. All ages are welcome. Again, that's going to be there at the uh, entrance of the campus trails on Chucky Mullins Drive in Oxford, 3 o'clock Saturday. Now, Felder, you did it twice. Do it one more time for the people who didn't catch it. What's that? He's a real... Uh, he's a fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little slow on it. That's okay. But anyway, hey, and they can have a native plant sale at the Crosby Arboretum next weekend. We'll, we'll talk about that for, uh, October 5th and 6th. Uh, got a few other things that are that are coming up. I'd be glad to talk plant swaps and things like that. But for the most part, uh, the biggest thing on my calendar is next week, the start of the state fair. We're going to be talking about uh, the plants. I like to take uh, one or two plants down there every year. It's not always uh, a big flower show, but it's at the back of the trademark building. Put on by the used to be the Men's Garden Club. Now it's the Gardeners of of Jackson. But I like to take an unusual two or three or four varieties of plants that old pass along things I got from my grandmother, great grandmother, just so people could see some of the type of plants that folks have been growing and sharing in pots in the porch, on their patio, in their house all winter. But that's going to be uh, at the State Fair. Starts next Wednesday. Look forward to you know, y'all. I might even take, I've got a little miniature pickup truck painted the same John Deere green as my big pickup truck. I've got a little thing on the back of where I'm growing a miniature succulents. I might even take that down there, a little, little miniature uh, a gar- truck garden. So anyway, that kind of stuff's going on. By the way, uh, I, Hello, this, Felder. Don't, don't be bashful. Tell them, tell them what happened last time when you went down there. <laughs> I, t- I took a big plant. I didn't mean for it because, you know, this is an amateur thing, but I took a plant down there and it got best in show. And it's not because it was great. Java is not that great. It was just big, and nobody else had a pickup truck big enough to haul that thing down there. But my old rubber tree named Big Jim, I've had since 1974. That's a long time I've had that plant. Yeah, yeah, Big Jim. And uh, he's a lot bigger than you are, Java, and you're a big old guy, but it's a lot bigger. Anyway, Big Jim got uh, best in show just because it was big. Anyway, that's always a lot of fun. Be sure to swing by if you go to the State Fair, the flower show back in the back of the trademark building. Uh, last week, I, I got, got a couple of emails back and forth with uh, a gal down in Gulfport, down on the Gulf Coast. Her name is Pat Harvey, and she sent me pictures of her starfish cactus in full bloom. And some people call it carrion flower because it's a, kind of a trailing-looking, long, skinny, floppy stems uh, uh, cactus. Doesn't need a lot of water, but hers is big, and it has flowers that open up bigger than my hand unusual. I mean, it looked like from outer space called starfish because it looks like a starfish, but it smells like rotten meat because it attracts flies to pollinate it. Anyway, starfish, cactus, carry-on flower, whatever you want to call it. Pat Harvey has a big one down in Gulfport. I appreciate her uh, sharing all that with me, sending pictures back. She even sent me a really good quality one I'm going to try to use in different ways. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Lumberton. Folks down in Poplarville and Magnolia, Mississippi, uh, the uh, county seat of Pike County. I was down there on my way back from uh, mis- meeting with Master Gardeners in St. Tammany Parish. Uh, and also on the way back, I managed to swing by and visit a special place down in Poplarville. I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But it's a couple of guys, Jeff and Donald, again, I'll talk about in a little while, who have their largest 
tea plantation in this whole part of the South. They grow tea in Mississippi, and they sell it all different kinds of ways. Really interesting operation, but most important, a couple of really, really good guys. I enjoy spending a little bit, little bit of time with them. You know, one of the things that, that I've been doing this past week is digging up flower bulbs. <laughs> Not in your yard, but everywhere else. There's this red spider lily. Some people call them naked ladies, but I call that big pink one that blooms in July and August. I call that one naked ladies. This one is red spider lily. They both have leaves that come up in the fall and die down in the spring, but they have delayed flowering. Uh, the pink one blooms in July and August. The red one is September, October. But both of them are really easy to dig up separate the bulbs, stick some back in the hole, and then uh, share the ones that you dig up. Move them around. Uh, sometimes I give them to friends, sometimes to family members. My son has got a collection of these, and he and his wife have got a collection of these. Guess what, though? They came from my great-grandmother's garden. So my son has flowers blooming in his garden right now that came from his great-great-grandmother's garden. Right now, you can see where they are. So what I do is I take the where the spider lilies, the red ones, are looking the best. I go out, and I cut the flowers off, put them in a vase to kind of brighten up my little cabin. I live in a little shack, and uh, flowers in a vase make me just, well, it's okay. I'm a guy, but I like to feel special. And I put flowers in a vase. It makes me makes my cabin been prettier, and that's important to an old guy like me. Anyway, I cut the flowers off, and I dig up the bulbs because they they're already starting to grow their roots, but they'll put, be putting leaves up in a, a, a few weeks. I like to dig them and move them around this time of year because I know where they are and before they really start growing. Um, sometimes I share them with other people. I have, maybe I shouldn't job I shouldn't say this, but I take these bulbs sometimes, and I stick them in unexpected places like school grounds or on my walks because nobody knows. I got this little bulb is about the size of a golf ball. And when nobody's looking, I just stick it in the ground. And it's a month later when I'm long gone, they don't associate this little clump of leaves comes up. And then this time next year, they got these red flowers in the middle of nowhere. And the people say, where did that come from? I'm thinking, "Uh, it's little old gorilla gardener me. Anyway, that's the kind of stuff we do. We've got a... uh, 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 interview coming up with a guy named Greg Grant. He's very knowledgeable. He's a real guy. I love him to death. He's very honest and bottom line, hands-on gardeners. And we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk with him about a going to be kind of a long interview, but it's really important, a serious new issue uh, regarding crepe myrtles. I'm Horticulturist Felder Rushing. Me and Java Chapman, all the folks here at MPB are going to uh, come right back with this big old party we call the Gestalt Gardener. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. MPBOnline.org is the destination for everything Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Catch up on past shows from Think Radio, check out MPB TV or Music Radio, and become a sustaining member all from one place. Get connected now at MPBOnline.org. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's fellow rushing. Got a smile in my voice because it's, uh, first of all, it's fall, which is my time of the year. I really love it here. I've already talked about digging and dividing stuff, but before we go any further, let me introduce someone. Let me see if we got Greg on the line. Greg, are you there with us? I'm here. All righty. At the fairgrounds, our fair starts next week. Uh, yeah, ours is in the East Texas Fair is going on right now. Do y'all, uh, do y'all have uh, like roasted corn and stuff like that? 
Well, mostly fried Twinkies and fried <laughs> uh, cheesecake and deep fried chocolate covered bacon and all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm dripping oil right now. There you go. There you go. Listen, before we get into the horticulture stuff, how's mama and them? Doing good, doing good. She had her gallbladder taken out this week. So. Oh boy, so you help take She'll care. Be ready to eat pies when she gets healed up. So. Oh boy, oh boy. Well, you know, fried pies. You know, East Texas and Mississippi, we like fried pies, baked pies. Absolutely. You know, we eat fried shoes over here. So. <laughs> hey, I f- if we could fry ketchup, we would do that. That's actually Absolutely. sounds fried ketchup on a stick. You can introduce that. That's good, because that's the way you get kids to eat vegetables is crime. So. <laughs> well, listen, uh, let, me, let me tell you, most, most folks who are listening, they, they, they know you. They've heard you before. A lot of people don't realize, Greg, uh, you're a uh, uh, Texas A&M. You used to call it extension service. What's it, AgriLife or something like that yeah, now? Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service now. So just when people learn our name, we change it to just throw them off. So. That's okay. That's okay. But, I mean, you've worked all— It's hard all... to place blame if you can't figure out who it is. Yeah, yeah. Can't, it, can't, so. can't find your number because it can't Google you anymore. Exactly. But uh, you, you've been working uh, with Texas A&M, also with, uh, with Stephen F. Austin University, and, and pretty much, and, and you and uh, uh, Dr. Bill Welch uh, co-wrote one of my all-time favorite books, Heirloom, uh-oh, Southern Heirloom. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Southern Heirloom Gardens or... You know the, the new version, I think, was heirloom gardening in the South. And yeah, yeah. You wrote the forward to the thing, so that's the reason you have to say you like it. Well, I do like it. I do like it, but I, I like you guys like the too. First part, right? Yeah, but uh, first eight, couple of pages are the best. Yeah, well, I got I got a real serious topic to talk about with you right now that popped up. But first of all, my fruit of the week. I haven't really talked about it yet. My fruit of the week. I just brought a little little golf ball. See if you can ID this. About the size of a golf ball. It's slightly furry. It's a little orange. And it smells like a lemon. Lots of seeds. Trifoliate orange. Yep, yep. I've got uh, one called Flying Dragon, which is a... Contorted version. Yeah, you could put it under a window, and if somebody tries to break in, they're not going to be able to get away. No. So, then you take the pieces and put them in jail. So. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, also I found, you know, the little uh, fruits fall on the ground, and, and, and they sprout in a little wad of seedlings, and they come true to see with that little contorted thing. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that most citrus does that. What's that deal? The new seller seedlings for the mama gives birth to clones. That's pretty cool. It is. It, you you horticulturists all your weird words, weird words. Yeah, yeah so, not uh, normal like you. Hey, here's here's a, a really weird word that people n- don't need to know but need to have heard before: neonicotinoids. There you go. That's a tough it's one. A, That's a tough bad. one. Bashed a lot in the in the media these days. Yeah, uh, this is a uh, it's, it's it works sort of like a nicotine. It's a it's a synthetic material, yeah. but it's the single most commonly used insecticide on Earth. And there's some concerns about how it affects bees and things like that. But I noticed uh, uh, Texas at A&M, you've got a, a a publication on how to use it safely in urban environment. We're not talking about agriculture and corn and all that. We're talking about in in home use, they say you don't spray it. You mix it up with water and pour it around the roots. And it's safer yeah, that way. And of course, one thing people miss, most insecticides are, are toxic to bees. Of course, this uh, common neonicotinoid that everybody's uh, using imidacloprid is a, a systemic. And so, of course, we always, we've had systemic insecticides for as long as I've been in horticulture that people would use on things like camellias, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, scale and that sort of thing. It just so happens, of course, neonicotinoids were developed to replace um you know, bad stuff, made, really yeah, bad stuff. Yeah. I, I used to use a, 
whole nicotine sulfate. It was a byproduct of tobacco. All natural. In the greenhouse of the LSU, and it looked kind of cool. It looked like my papa's tobacco juice, but of course it'll kill you if you drink a teaspoonful of it. So yeah. It wasn't yeah. very safe, so they made these uh, artificial versions, and and they're handy to use, but you always have to think about you know when bees are going to be be out, and yeah. especially when it's something flowing through the through the veins of the plant. So it's all about timing to be, to yeah. be safe. Well, it's safer to be flowing through the plant than it's spraying all over you and you know flinging through the air. Yeah. Well, the reason I'm, I mention this is because um, people need to get used to this. We have a new insect pest. It showed up in Texas, I guess, what, about 10 years ago? 2004 uh, in Richardson, t- Texas. Yep. And uh, it showed up in Mississippi uh, about three years ago, back in the spring. And now it is all over. It's called crepe myrtle bark scale. And yep. I th- I think it's going to be a pretty bad one or a good one if you're an entomologist. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, ever crape myrtle in Tyler, Texas has it, so it's it's not a good thing. It, it's interesting that about the time the black leaf crape myrtles came out, everybody has black crape myrtles now because they make. We always had uh, <laughs> uh, you know sooty mold from crape myrtle aphids. Well, this scale gets on the bark, so it turns the whole trunks black in in bad cases, and so it's uh. There's some ways to deal with it, though, and I've learned firsthand by having them in the in my apartment in Tyler. I had them all in the landscape there. Now they hadn't made it to my little farm yet because they're yeah. not. Uh, they're but they're ten miles away, so I'm certainly looking for it. But it's it's a it's a game changer in the world because I mean, crepe myrtles were something you never had to spray, didn't have to water, didn't have to prune, didn't have to do a thing to, and now we've got something that's going to be like feral hogs and fire ants. Yeah, and uh, uh, and and rose rosette, and you know, there's oh, yep, you know, yep, a lot of people aren't really. You know, horticulture like you and me, we have to deal with some stuff that we had to learn early on how to say, sorry, ma'am, nothing we can do. Yep. You know, and, and, and nobody wants to hear that. Sorry, ma'am. You, you end up nope. saying three things. Yes, um, I understand. Sorry. Yes, um, yep. I understand. Sorry. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> right. I understand. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I got it in my yard. But anyway, this crepe myrtle bark scale, I started talking about a couple of weeks ago, and I've gone around, and it's all over Jackson, Mississippi, which is, in crepe myrtle is our official uh, tree, city tree. And it shows up, um, you know, it's not just the black stuff on the leaves and the pink flamingos underneath, but it's on the bark, and they're little small gray-white bumps, r- real small, smaller than, than yeah. a BB, and you can mash them, and it's kind of pink. And it's yeah. real distinctive. There's nothing else that looks like it, little white spots, little bumps all over the trunks and twigs. Um, and when it gets really bad, it'll encrust the trunk like it looks like it's covered with lichens. They'll get so thick that it's scale stacked yeah. on top of scale. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's really not a good spray for it. We're going to have to uh, to, to uh, do a couple of things. But before we get to that, y'all been dealing with it for quite a while in Texas. Incl- you know, Dallas area, that's where the Crate Merrill Society of America is. They're going to be concerned yep. about it. Absolutely. Uh, is it likely to kill a healthy crepe myrtle? No. That's one thing I've, I've learned. not going to kill it. There's a few butchered crepe myrtles that it, that it kills. Otherwise, it pretty much unchecked will reduce the vigor by about a third, and the flowers will be smaller. But it's just that, you know, if it went the it, ugly trunk part, that sort of messed it up because they had such beautiful trunks. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like you say, it's uh, black as a color, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you squint or look at them in the dark, they don't look so bad. So. Yeah, so so that's the number one thing. It, number two, the number one is it's coming. If you don't have it yet, you're going to get it. Crepe myrtles going. are going to have it. This is going to be part of crepe myrtles from here on, right? Yep. Now it it may get 
less severe in the future because there are some beneficials that are working on them, like the twice-stabbed lady beetle. So if you go to a crepe myrtle that has it, you'll also see these beneficial guys feeding on the, the scale. So they're hoping that it'll settle in and at some point not be as bad as it has been <laughs> it, unchecked. It's, we're going to have, have ladybugs the size of our fists out there. This Absolutely. going to be like cows <laughs> running around out there. Pigs, which well, I ran over a pig this week, by the way. So oh, that, no. That's uh, another issue. And, and your, your new pickup truck? Well, it's in the shop getting fixed. I'm yeah. having a rental right now. But yeah, the uh, now I've noticed some things that they don't put in that publication that people should pay attention to. You can have a perfectly good old crepe myrtle, and if somebody bumps it with a car or accidentally hacks on the trunk, the scale will jump on that new callus growth like cows around a trough. And so they like tender vegetation, just like we like tender greens. And so the real fast-growing crepe myrtles. Uh, cutback crepe myrtles, crepe myrtles in nurseries, they cluster on those. And the old crepe myrtles with big, smooth trunks, they're just scattered on there. So anything you can do to reduce, uh, multi, you know, have as few trunks as possible, have as smooth a trunks as possible, not have narrow crotch angles because you can't get that scale out of those little angles. I used to clean mine once a week at the apartment <laughs> there. And you can clean off a smooth trunk. I just use I'd treat them with orange oil every week and I'd spray them with the water. And get them all off there, but you can't get them out of those cracks. So yeah. anything to reduce uh, so, so small no, tender so, growth. And- so in other words, my, my idea of of, uh, of crepe myrtle pollardedum that just aggravated. That just makes them mad, right? Well, it, it does. <laughs> but you know, there's another way to do it. And I told people if it got super severe, we can grow semi dwarfs and dwarfs and miniatures by cutting to the ground every year and growing them like perennials. And, so if worst came to worst, and I guess we're, do, yeah, and it gets rid of a lot. Back. Yeah, that gets the worst of them off because they're going to be on twigs and stuff, and, and then and the new growth yeah. might be able to outrun them for a while. Yep, yep, yep. And well, so that's that's a possibility too. For, and I do grow some crepe myrtles like that, things like a coma and, and catawba, where I cut to the ground every year. So that's I'm, an option too. Yeah, I've got a little ground cover. Uh, and, and by the way, this is I'm not trying to alarm folks, but I stopped by a big box store in Jackson the other day, and they've got maybe seventy crepe myrtles for sale, and they're all just completely eaten up with this stuff. Yeah, it's important when you buy one, you don't want to just start off with it. Yeah, and uh, but it's easier to control on a small one, of course, than a bigger one too. Yeah, well, I want to I want to talk about control in just a second, but uh, there's not a lot of crepe myrtle relatives. Uh, you know, lithrum, uh, pomegranate. You think this is going to spread to other stuff? You know, like roses or anything? Is pretty well going to stick to well, to these it, plants? It pot- potentially can get on pomegranates, although I hadn't seen it, but it has been documented on beautyberry. Oh, in Shreveport. Yeah. And so you hate for the, now this is a, it's a Chinese tree and it's a Chinese insect. So you hate to have something completely foreign introduced to our natural environments because we got beautyberry by the tree and, you know, yeah. it's an understory plant. So I'd hate to think it was going to spread through there, but it has been found on, on beautyberry, which is not even the same family. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, we have, uh, I, I talked to, uh, uh, Dr. Blake Layton. He's our, uh, uh, extension entomologist. Right. Uh, a real but, expert. Yeah. yeah he, 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 that's what he, he deals with. And uh, yep. also a local fellow here who, who does soil injections. He mixes stuff up and puts it down in the soil. Right. Uh, a guy named Jay Grisham. And, uh, they've, you know, they've got, uh, a, a slightly different approach than all the public. Basically, what everybody's saying, starting with Texas A&M, because y'all invented this problem. Thanks a lot, Greg. But- <laughs> hey, the, the, it came from China, but believe it or not, the Chinese blame us for it. Said it didn't, it wasn't a problem <laughs> until we bred hybrid crepe myrtle. So we can pass it back to Donald Egoff and Washington. I'm, I'm just surprised y'all haven't named it Texas 
Bart scale because y'all <laughs> name everything. Take credit for the good stuff, for the really big stuff. <laughs> well, if it was a four hundred pound scale, we'd say we invented it. That's right. Well, anyway, it's a it's common, it's spreading, it's going to be with us. As far as what p- people can do, about first and foremost. Don't don't get your knickers in a knot because it's probably not going to kill a healthy tree. That's important no. to establish. It's I've just, looked at thousands and then hadn't seen a, a big one die yet or a healthy one. Yeah, and and you also had an entomologist there in Tyler go around doing some stuff. Uh, the recommendations one is just sort of iffy. They're saying after the leaves fall off in the in, in the the autumn and before they put on in the spring, you could try spraying a dormant oil, which is what we use on euonymus. And dormant oil is is a is a it's an organic, it's a natural, it's organic product, but it sort of smothers a lot of them. That's right. that's not going to control them. It's just going to slow them down. But the other thing is, the only recommendation I've seen for anything you can treat them with is this liquid. You mix up with water and you pour it around the base of the tree to get sucked up in the tree. And and they go by a d- bunch of different names. I tell people look for something that starts with I M I. Yep. That works. Yep. You know, there's another that starts with D-I-N-O, but, you know, it's too expensive. Right. But all yeah, the garden. It's hard to spell imidacloprid, but it's it's just about every brand makes a imidacloprid Yeah, product every now. garden center cares. But under active ingredient, it'll start with I-M-I. But you yep. mix it with water and you pour it around the, 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 the base of the tree so it gets soaked into the to the roots. Um, All the recommendations start with Texas say that it works best in April, May, or June, and after that, the plants aren't soaking water up as much, so they're recommending only really treating in April, May, or June. I'm thinking that's because in Texas, ain't nothing growing past then because it's so dry. Well, you know what? The last time I heard uh, our entomologist speaking, uh, they backed that recommendation up sooner, uh, and for two reasons. In the springtime, you got the crawler stages that's active, and they're easier to, uh, to kill, uh, so really what we're doing now is about the time you get bud break on the crepe myrtle, and because you got some delayed uh, action when you're using a, a systemic product. So what we're doing here is when the crepe myrtle first starts putting on its bud, that's when we put it on there. And, of course, it takes it up, and then the scale's easier to kill when it's younger and active. But yeah. also it lets it go through the system and be out of the system by the time the crepe myrtle's blooming so you don't have blooms and bees. Uh, with the metaclopid, the metaclopid, you know, they, people it, could get the impression that a systemic insecticide stays in there forever, where it doesn't. It goes through, and that's why greenhouses have to use it repeatedly because yeah. it goes through the system. So yeah. the key is get it on early, flow it through the plant, let the scale feed on it, and then by the time the thing's blooming, there's nothing left in it. So it's so now, so now we're saying for our part of the country, uh, sometime in March. April, May, yep. June. Well, this, this 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 local fellow who does injections, he says if we've got good rainfall and the plants are still growing, you can put it on later in the season. Uh, Blake well, Layton, he said up until maybe the middle of September. And, and get killed, but then you got to worry about pollinators and having you know, midicloprid and floral parts and pollen and all so, that sort of thing. So, so. You, th- you think I need to stick with uh, late March, April, May, June, and then, yeah. you know, it, if you have to do. And the rest of the year... That's when I was just spraying the trunk. And even though the studies showed that oil products didn't work very good, I was using orange oil and watching that scale turn brown and spraying it off with a hose. So, I, of course, you know, most of these people doing the studies don't have their driveway lined with crepe myrtles. And so, <laughs> so that's but, where yeah. folks like you and Jay are, are playing around with stuff and finding stuff that, that, that helps. That helps. Yeah, exactly. And it's just one of those things you just got to stay with. Because I was a kid that you know, helped the crepe myrtle peel bark every year, so I'm out there looking at it intimately 
And so uh, for the rest of the year, I'd just be spraying something on the trunk. But for as far as the systemic, I would just do it yeah. early spring, flow it through the system. Okay. So here, here, here in a nutshell, when people call up and say, Greg, I've got – you know they're going to say crepe merle. You know they're going to say yep. bar scale. What, what do you say the shortest thing you can say to them and then hang up on them? Uh, I'll say it's great. They'll say they got black trunks. What's wrong with it? I'll say bark scale. I'll say put your metacloprid. And I've used granules, too. They didn't test granules, which it comes in as well and it's easier to, to apply you're, without you're, mixing you're, stuff you're, up. You're, you're confusing us now. What, yeah. what, do, you, what do you I say? Mean, the bottom line? Uh, metacloprid in the spring when it buds out. Dormant all during the winter time, and if you can't stand it during the summer, and you got any other insecticide, just spray on the trunk there. And just take your glasses off and ignore it as best you can. Yeah, yeah. if you're lazy, you do nothing, and just you know, it's just another little insect out there, and see how many ladybugs you can find on there with them. Yeah. Well, listen, Greg. You know, usually I I I know how busy you are at the state fair. You're looking for something greasy to eat. I, I get that, but it, no, we got we actually got school kids coming all day long <laughs> to teach about tomatoes. So. Yeah, well, anyway, we got a scoop, but I just wanted to, to I wanted to talk with you about it because you're not just a horticulturist from Texas who, you know, really on top of this, but also you're a real gardener and you knock around your yard and you, you think about stuff. So this is this, really important. Well, listen, we're going we're gonna to hang up now, but what you didn't know is I always play a cheesy tune on my program. We're going to go out with a tune that I recorded on you playing your grandmother's rickety old untuned upright <laughs> yeah, piano. Yeah, my great-grandmother's piano. Funny. Love you to death, Greg. Say hey to everybody. Appreciate it. it. Folks, we'll be back with more of the Gestalt Gardener right after this. is kind of like that hairstyle you had in high school. Really cool back in the day. But that old car is still cool when you donate it to MPB Think Radio. Go to mpbonline.org for details. Then sit back and enjoy the ride. Now that's cool. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back to Horticulture's Fell to Russia. It's kind of a long interview with Greg, but Greg's a good guy. He knows his stuff. I trust him. I like him, and I respect him. And I just wanted to sort of lay down what we're going to be hearing from here on. Crate Myrtle Bark Scale is something that is part of Crate Myrtle's from here on. Just sort of get used to it. Breathe in, breathe out. Up your well butrin if you need to, but mostly just relax a little bit. Meanwhile, we've had a lady hanging on forever from Oxford. Lydia, I really appreciate you holding so long. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Howdy. What's what's going on? 
Um, this is, I, I just wanted to call and thank you for announcing the, the herb class. I'm part of the Herbalist Guild. Yeah, of course. And I just wanted to make one small correction. It's not free. You said, you said it was free, not but free. it's actually, it's $40. Okay, but that's for the whole series or just for tomorrow? Just for tomorrow, that's just to cover our expenses. Okay. We'll be making three medicines with people and, and yeah. providing lunch. As soon as I said that, I realized you didn't say anything about in your email about whether it costs anything. <laughs> but anyway, oh. it's, it's still it's still going to be at, at uh, up at, uh, at there at Strawberry at Audubon, Strawberry Fields Audubon Park tomorrow. Yeah, it's at Strawberry Plains, and yeah. um, we're asking people to email us. To register, okay. and I can tell you the email address. Oh, I tell you what, if people need it, they'll, they'll shoot me an email, because otherwise it just gets real confusing. Okay, that sounds good. But I appreciate it, Lydia. Thanks for correcting it, and I hope you all have a great turnout and good weather tomorrow. All right, thank you. All right, you bet. Okay, folks, we've got the lines wide open. You want to give me a call and talk about what's on your gardening mind? It's real, really your gardening mind. I'm horticulturist Phil Rushing, and I'd like to talk with you about what's going on. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff, uh, you know, as far as events going on. I've already mentioned uh, several. Wells Fest in Jackson on uh, Saturday the 29th. This uh, on Lakeland Drive, right past the interstate, across from St. Dominic's Hospital. Really big deal. Lloyd Minecreef has got some terrific plants there. And also a mushroom lecture and identification walk uh, there on the campus trails and Chucky Mullins Drive in Oxford. That's Saturday. Starts at 3 o'clock. All edges is welcome. It's free. And uh, next week, Friday, October 5th and 6th, Crosby Arboretum down in uh, Picayune is going to have its uh, uh, annual native plant sale. I did want to th- uh, give a, a shout-out. I mentioned uh, earlier uh, in the program that uh, I'd been down in Lumberton or Poplarville. When I was uh, last weekend, when I was doing a, a program for the uh, St. Tammany Parish Master Gardeners, over 300 people showed up to talk about gardening. Really appreciate that. But when I, get, when I got done... <laughs> I swung by and visited a couple of guys that are so fun, so, so fun. Um, Jeff Brown, Donald Vanderwerken, they're the T-Boys down in Poplarville. They have Mississippi, excuse me, Pearl River Tea Company. They grow thousands of tea plants that make tea from it. They make all different kinds of tea, green tea, black tea, all different kinds of tea grown in Mississippi. They're terrific guys. They had so much fun. They showed me all around their place and their processing uh, facilities and, you know, their tea room and all that stuff. I had some some of their homegrown blueberry uh, lemonade, which is terrific. Anyway, uh, Don Vanderwerken and Jeff Brown, thank you so much for, for uh, supporting MPB and also for showing me around. We had a lot of fun. Look forward to seeing those guys again. Uh, there's a, a couple of events uh, going on that are coming up, like a plant swap in, in Flora, Mississippi, one in Mobile. They're a little bit later this month, so we've got plenty of time to talk about it. But if there's something on your mind, if you'd like to call and chat about gardening, shoot me a flavor. Uh, flavor. <laughs> flavor. Java, I was looking at something. I wanted to share this. Shoot me a flavor, man. I mean, that's that's like a, is that a rap song? Shoot me some flavor? Well, I will say you might have got, uh, you know how your mind just, I guess, wanders on our board today. Our, I guess, question of the day um, is what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? So that might have been what you were thinking about. You saw it in the hallway. Yeah, <laughs> actually, actually, I was thinking of a quote that my son gave me. He said, this is great. He said, water is a liquid. 
whose flavor is its temperature. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Water really does, you know, there's some water, water taste, some water <laughs> tastes funny, but water in generally, it's not sweet, sour, salty, or bitter. It's not umami. Water really doesn't have a flavor. But he said you can tell the difference between lukewarm water and cold water and tap water just from the from the temperature. Okay, I, I can go with that. <laughs> I need some some cheery water or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bring me, don't bring me that lukewarm stuff. We want either hot or cold. That's the way we roll when it comes to our water. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you want to give me a ch- shout talking about gardening, toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. Uh, got a couple of interesting emails the uh, past week. One is uh, Bob Rambo said that he puts pine straw around his azaleas. And wants to know, um, he said, I'm getting ready to freshen up for the winter. He said, normally I rake the old straw away and replace it with new straw. Is there any value in leaving the old pine straw and just adding new on top of it? And, uh, yeah, this value right off the bat is easier. (laughs) So twice as easy, three times easier than just raking old stuff out. But I want to throw this out. Pine straw tends to mat down after a year or two. And it develops this mold. doesn't hurt the, the, the plants, but this mold sort of ties the old pine straw together almost like a sheet of cardboard. And when it rains, water can't penetrate it. Uh, so it's really good to take your rake. If nothing else, reach up under there, rake, just rough it up really good. You know, just really scruff up the old stuff and then put some new stuff on top of it. Uh, that, that way it breaks up that little fungal mat that's up under there. I, you know, that's just my way of doing it. Um, also, Annie Brock says she was going to repot her, her mother-in-law plant, uh, and she got some other plants, but uh, her pots don't have drainage holes. What it, she wants to know, would it damage the plants to put a little small level of, like, pea gravel on the bottom of the pots and plant on top of it? And the truth is, it's mm, really not a good idea. When you water a plant in a in a pot with no holes, even if it's got drainage at the bottom, unless a few minutes later you tip it on the side and drain the extra stuff away, which you can do, uh, it's still going to hold water down around the roots. It can sour, but it can also rot those those deep roots. So really better to go ahead and either uh, drill a hole in the bottom. It's a ceramic pot. You go to a hardware store and get a ceramic drill bit that costs 4 or $5 and drill a hole in the bottom. Or else, better yet, plant your your, your things in a smaller, slightly smaller plastic pot and then, you know, water that, and you can either pull it out and water it or else pour the water out easier. But plant in something that's got a hole, that's got drainage holes in the bottom, especially something like uh, the old mother-in-law plant, because it's a succulent. It's like a cactus. It'll rot real quick. And then uh, the another email here. This is uh, Peggy from Daphne Island uh, down off the coast of uh, South Alabama. Uh, she just pruned her, her uh, drift roses. The roses are getting kind of long and leggy. And I'm hoping that they have time to put out new bl- new flowers before Christmas time. It's possible. It's really possible. Get late for pruning plants, but past the recommended date. But uh, if you live down on the Gulf Coast, we can fudge things by a month or so. Anyway, she said, I notice the stems have some new growth on them, but they look different. The leaves are narrow, smaller, have a sort of frizzy look to them. Uh, frizzy. Roses with narrow, small, weird, deformed, frizzy looking to them. That's a real serious problem. We're starting to see it. It's worse than crepe myrtle bark scale. It's worse than getting mimosa weed in your flower beds. Uh, this is a virus. It's called rose rosette. 
uh, so virus that spreads from wild blackberries to, to, to roses. It spreads from rose to rose by insects or with pruning shears. If you prune roses that have this virus in them, next one you prune, you can spread the virus with the pruning shears, unless you like dip them in Clorox or alcohol or something like that between between shrubs. Anyway, there is bad news. There is no cure for rose rosette. Once it gets in a rose, that's all it's going to be. I mean, it's just... That's all it is to it. You can't control it, and it pretty well totally boogers up the plant. So if you find roses that have twisty, narrow, frizzy-looking new growth, immediately don't don't give yourself time to soften your heart. Immediately pull them up, get them out of the garden. And then I would spray the ones that are left in case some of the bugs on the one you pulled up jump off when you're taking it out of the garden because it's spread by uh, a sap-sucking insect. It's a tough one. Gardening has got some real horror stories, some real heartbreaker stuff. And um, I'm glad I'm in a position where I don't have to feel like i got to sell you something. Uh, I can just, bottom line, here, here's what I do. Here's what I do. Rose rosette, I grow lots of roses. Uh, if I see it on there, I just pull the plant up. Don't even think twice about it. Crepe Myrtle Bart Scale, I'm just going to... Maybe hit them with some, some dormant oil in the spring. Next spring, decide whether I want to pour this uh, systemic insecticide around the roots. Late March, April, May, June. And if I don't want to do that, I'm just going to learn to, to love my crepe burls with their nice, long, leggy, architectural, sculptural black trunks. Hey, we're going to take a real quick break. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing. Uh, me and Java are going to take a real quick break. But we've got the lines open. Lines are wide open. If you want to give us a shout... One eight seven seven MPB ring. I know a lot of you are listening by podcast, and too late to do that. But you can email me. I answer emails. Garden at mpbonline dot org. So we're gonna take a real quick break and come back with more of the Gestalt Gardener here on MPB. Right after this. Java, I shouldn't have gone in there. During the break, I went in. We were showing each other pictures of spiders, and I've got my skin is crawling. I mean, this is great. I've got. Uh, I don't like. I mean, some people don't like snakes. I don't have a problem with snakes, but spiders make me squeal like my daughter when she was six years old. And Felder, what was so funny about that spider that I showed you? Uh huh. I don't know if it was brothers or sisters, or maybe that was the baby and the mama and the daddy, <laughs> but it was two other ones with big spider webs right next to it. I don't know what, I guess I hadn't been paying attention <laughs> to the backyard or something, but they were all, they were three, like three little spiders, but no, they weren't little. I, like I saw you on the picture, but three big spiders just right there. Yeah, this is the time of year in the fall where we start seeing this great big, what they call the uh, the the garden spider. They're black and yellow, and they're you know the body's as big as my thumb, and they stretch out between stuff. Anyway, my neighbors think that there's something really creepy about me because they see me walking down, you know, out, walk around in the yard in the morning, and I'm walking around holding a wand up in front of me, just walk around this this little wand straight up in front of my face. It looks like I'm, you know, giving some kind of voodoo blessing or something like that. I'm just trying to keep the spider webs out of my face. <laughs> Sorry, neighbors. It's not as creepy as you think. We've got a whole lot of uh, things going on this time of year. If you want to plant stuff, you know, if you feel like it, the weather is really good right now. 
you know, it rained a lot. The ground is, the, the dirt's real easy to dig. Uh, it's not too hot out there. We've got, got plenty of moisture. This is a great time of year to set out uh, fall vegetables, fall and spring vegetables. There's flowers, you know, of course, pansies and violas and uh, snapdragons, things like that. They can be put out right now, and I actually put some out the other day. But this is a really good time to put out uh, plants of things like uh, collards. Even if you don't like collards, it's a tough, tough plant. It grows great through the wintertime, nice big, big plant, pretty yellow flowers in the spring. Or kale. Kale is one of my favorite winter flowers. They've got purple kale. They've got blue kale. They've got all different kinds of kale. And they're pretty. They're pretty plants. They look great in pots. They look great in flower beds. They look great in and in between your shrubs. They're big, pretty plants, and they aren't damaged with 10 degrees. You can get down to below hard freezing, and they just get prettier. And you can eat them when you're tired of looking at them. Break the lower leaves off, make you a soup with them, uh, throw in a little kielbasa, maybe some onions and garlic. Uh, anyway, kale is a pretty plant for winter ornament, and you can also eat it. Uh, Swiss chard. Burgundy mustard. I put some of those out a couple of uh, week and a half ago, and they are immediately perked right up. They just love this kind of weather. And I also have some seeds of lettuce. I mix up different kinds of lettuce seeds, three or four different kinds, and I sprinkle them in little spots here and there, and they make little mixed salads. All you got to do is just snip it off, eat it, and come back out next week, and the plants you left just sprout her back out so you can get a couple of harvests off a nice little salad. And they grow great in pots on top of a, of a picnic table or on your patio or your front porch. They're pretty plants. So, Felder, let's yeah. go back. You said, you said kale is a great uh, winter, like, ornament plant? It's a beautiful plant. I mean, so, well, so kale is the new poinsettia. Uh, no, no, kale is the new <laughs> kale is the new collards. Oh, kale is the new collards. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> People have been growing collards. You know, in, in the South, you know, we can grow collards. You know, we're not going to smell that great, but you can eat collards all wintertime here in the South. You know, severe digestive disruption, I think, is a is a for too much collards. You well, know. when you smell like collards, you know you've been to grandma's house. That's right. That's <laughs> right. But kale is same family and is prettier. So grow collards because collards to me is like a smooth leaf kale. <laughs> but anyway, they're pretty plants and they will not freeze. Another plant you can set out right now that won't freeze is uh, parsley. Parsley makes a basketball size of really pretty, uh, frilly emerald green. And the colder, I mean, it does great right through the, better over the winter than over the summer. So then we have plenty of choices of things you can set out right now. Plenty of choice. It look good. If you're not much of a gardener or you know somebody not much of a gardener or somebody who's given up on gardening, they don't have a big place, uh, you can get a pot that's just barely big enough to put your arms around and plant a little bit of each of these kind of things. A kale or collard plant, uh, some violas or pansies, uh, Swiss chard. You know, these kind of uh, throw a snapdragon in there. Poke some daffodil bulbs down in between them. You can have a really, really nice garden that you can put your arms around and pick up and drag in if you have to, but these plants don't have to be dragged in at all. Got plenty of things we can do over the wintertime. Um, one of the things I would encourage folks uh, who who uh, who use sprays in their garden, I try not to because my garden's so small and, and I'm cheap and all that. If a plant has a lot of problems, I just pull it up, stick something else in the hole. But if you use insecticides in your garden, keep this in mind. Unlike herbicides, 
and unlike um, fertilizers, insecticides, when you open a bottle of it to use it in the spring, by fall, it's lost most of its strength. They degrade quickly, sometimes within months. Uh, they have a real short half-life is what uh, technically we call it. So if you have insecticides you bought this spring or some that are more than a year old, they've lost their potency. They smell strong because that's the petroleum stuff in or whatever. They smell good or bad, however you want to look at it, but they've lost their potency. So use them up as best you can, uh, and then you need to get rid of them. What's really weird I check with the Department of Environmental Quality, the official recommendation for homeowner-sized containers. I'm not talking about 55-gallon drums, but a, a, a bottle of leftover malathion or something like that. Um, you know, use it up as best you can. Uh, pour it out. Rinse a bottle. Throw it in the trash. You can even put small containers of insecticide, wrap them up really good, and put them in the regular trash. This is what the Department of environmental quality says is acceptable for small homeowner size amounts of 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 leftover pesticides. Uh, sounds kind of weird, kind of creepy. The organic garden me just shudders, but they say that's probably the safest thing to do. Certainly, don't keep them hanging around because they've lost all their strength. Uh, hey, we've had all sorts of uh, things to talk about. Uh, events that are coming up. If you've got some you'd like me to promote, shoot me an email. If you've got garden questions or comments or want to uh, get a little bit more information, shoot me an email. It's real easy, garden at mpbonline.org. If you want to see my latest musings about artificial turf, about pruning crepe myrtles, about old garden gnomes, uh, things like that, go to my my blog. I don't sell anything. Can't even buy my books on my own blog. Fellerushing.blog. And I've got a whole thing there on artificial turf that and pretty crepe myrtles, both of which, even if you don't like them, have got some interesting things I've learned from other people and a lot of pictures. So uh, I try to be balanced. I try to throw it all out. There's some stuff I don't like, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. There's some things I like that you don't like, and we can agree to at least learn each other's point of view about it. But whatever, whatever. State Fair is coming up next week. I think we're going to have a lot of good fun at it. Uh, The Gestalt Garden is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We call it Think Radio. My producer is a laid-back but hard-working Java Chapman. I'm your host, Felder Rushing, and I've been thinking of y'all this fine last weekend in September. Get out about my little garden. I uh, hope you and your gardens fare well. If you get a chance, take find a kid, neighbor's kid, get permission if it ain't yours. Take them to a garden center, get them a sack of bulbs, or go to a farmer's market and show them where food comes from and get them to talk to a real farmer who says, here's how I was raised growing and eating these things. main thing is take kids outside and show them how to do what we do best, and that's get dirty. Don't forget, folks, drink some water and get some sunlight. We're basically plants with more complicated emotions.